we've been looking at, starting yesterday in fact, a bit of a history of where evil came from and what's its resolution, and more importantly, we're headed towards what's our part in that process. And I want to underline a couple of ideas. Number one, God's resolution to the sin problem is not an event, but it is a process. It takes time. And yesterday we noted that he was not blotted out of existence the moment iniquity was found in him, but he was merely cast out of heaven to the earth. And we looked at the reason why that was, and the Bible tells us the reason he was cast out instead of being blotted out was so that others who knew him could have the opportunity to see who he really was. So that others could gaze at him and consider him, saying, is this the man who shook kingdoms? What happened to him? Now, one of the passages we looked at yesterday discussed very briefly the idea that Satan was cast out of heaven for trading. If you had a King James Version, it would say for traffic. Some even say merchandise. What in the world? That's what we're going to study today. Lucifer's lemonade stand. But before we study anything from God's word, let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I want to thank you for this absolutely beautiful day. I want to thank you for these few precious moments you've given us in the middle of an otherwise hectic time to come apart, to reflect on your word, to be challenged by the Holy Spirit to grow more like Jesus. So help us to understand Jesus. Help us to understand who he is, what he's doing, and what part you would have us to play. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. That passage was found in the book of Ezekiel. And if you have your Bibles, Ezekiel chapter 28 gives you the full context, but I'll put the pa- passage on the text, we're gonna, on the screen here, that we're going to be looking at particularly. Ezekiel 28, verse 16, speaking of Lucifer's fall from heaven, says, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Now again, recall, all of this was going on in his heart. He was filled within with violence. Again, if he were to come up to God and say, I challenge you for the throne, it would have been a very quick fight. But inside was a jealousy that was leading to rage that, if given the opportunity, would express itself in violence. But instead of an outright fight, what he does is peddles or trades or shops around something in heaven. Became filled with violence within you, sin. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub from the midst of the fiery stones. It goes on in two verses later to repeat the same idea. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities. So all this sin that he was doing, and then it defines it as the iniquity of your trading. Therefore I brought fire from your midst, it devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. So which begs this simple question. And I, I, I wrestled with this when I was younger, and maybe you've thought of it too. But what did Satan, Lucifer, actually do wrong in heaven? Did he kill somebody? Did he steal some of God's stuff? Did he, I don't know, what did he do? And according to this passage, repeatedly it says trading, trading, traffic, merchandise. Was Lucifer cast out of heaven? For selling something. And it sounds a little bit silly, but in reality, yeah, he was. He was cast out of heaven for peddling something 
illegal trade, if you will. Now, to understand this a little bit more, we need to go back to the Old Testament even further to that fantastic book of Job. I don't know if you've ever studied Job. How many in this room have ever read the book of Job? All right, praise the Lord. So at least you're familiar enough we can speak conversantly about it. That's good. If you recall, in the book of Job, the first five verses are devoted to describing the blameless character and upright nature and stature of this man named Job. He was not wicked. He was not evil. In fact, he was good. He was pretty much the only good guy on the earth at that time. And the Lord blessed him abundantly. He gave him a family full of children and a happy life. And he had wealth and he had all kinds of status in the world. Yet he was still a humble, faithful man. And it takes five verses to tell us how great Job is. And then in verse 6, it jars to a different picture. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God, we're going to come back to that momentarily, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Now we'll just pause right here and let's ask the question, who, who's being referred to here, these sons of God? Notice it's not Jesus Christ, because it's plural, and it's lowercase s, right? This is sons of God, plural, not the Son of God, proper. Okay? So who in the world are these people? Well, Luke chapter 3 gives us a fascinating insight. We can find that other individuals have been referred to as the Son of God besides Jesus Christ. Namely, Adam. Watch this. In the genealogy of Jesus found in Luke chapter 3, and we could read through the whole thing if we really wanted to see how bad I can do with names, but some of these names are familiar to you, but notice we're going backwards in time, back to the origin, right? The son of Methuselah the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, all right, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and Adam was the son of God. Adam was a creation of God, but he's referred to as the son of God. But again, not in a proper noun sense. This is not Jesus Christ. He was literally God's son who he created. And in what condition was he created? Blameless, upright, good, good, very good. Crowned with honor and glory, the psalmist would say. And Adam was referred to as the son of God. And if we recall from our yesterday's meeting, he was not only a good, righteous man, Adam, a perfect, blameless individual, but he was given a specific responsibility in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember what it was? To have dominion. He was to be the ruler of this world, right? And of course, he forfeited it and handed the keys over to someone else, namely Satan. But in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he set Adam as the son of God, his representative to curate the place that he had just created. Okay? By the way, you see this language, the sons of God or the sons of God being that faithful heritage of Adam. For instance, in Genesis chapter 6, when it introduces the story of the flood, and it talks about how the earth became so wicked, it describes it this way. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, that's that faithful lineage of Adam, saw the daughters of men, 
a reference to the wicked individuals of the world, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all who they chose. So instead of staying faithful to God, they saw worldly relationships join together and abandon that faith with the Lord and what you had is resulting a great wickedness, so great in fact that the Lord destroyed the world with the flood. So when we go back to Job chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, we start to get an understanding of who these sons of God may be. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. I wanted to point out a second thing now. Notice they weren't already with God. In order to make it to this meeting, they had to come there. They had to attend it by travel. They had to get there, right? They came to present themselves before the Lord. Is that clear? Okay. So they're from some different location than where God is located, but yet they're called the sons of God. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Because notice, all the sons of God were there, which by the way, I don't want to burst your bubble about heaven too much, but apparently there are committee meetings in heaven. And before anyone leaves, like, forget it, I'm out. Apparently the Lord works through committees. Now, why would he do that? We'll come back to that a little bit later, but the Lord doesn't just execute out of his own mind. He brings people in to see the wisdom and to get their input. That's going to be critical as we go forward, okay? But now there's a day when the sons of God come to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them, which begs the question which God handily asks, where do you come from? Which is to imply everyone else here comes from somewhere. And here you are in the slot that probably should be taken by someone else. Quick question, who do you think he's there in the place of? Adam, right? Adam was the son of God that God established as the ruler of this world. Yet he forfeited that rule, that dominion, and gave it over to Satan. And so when a meeting of the sons of God comes up, Satan shows up. They're taking roll call, all right? Planet such and such, I don't know. I don't know if they had sci-fi names, you know, whatever. But when they get to where Adam should be, Satan says, here. Satan answered the Lord saying, from going to and fro on the earth. Notice he didn't just say from the earth. He said, I'm going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. I got out of the tree. I rule this world now. I'll be answering for earth. Thank you very much. I'm guessing that's when things got real tense. Real odd. Ever been in a room and things just all of a sudden get weird? <laughs> when Satan sasses God to his face at God's own committee meeting, I absolutely love how the Lord handles Satan. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you, and there's our word again, considered my servant Job? What did Satan just claim? I claim to run the whole planet. I represent everyone there. And God's like, that's interesting. Have you considered my servant Job? 
that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now, in our current political climate, you know, you're a massive winner if you can get 51% of the people on your side. But apparently, Satan had the overwhelming majority of planet Earth. In fact, 99.99999%, that's a landslide victory. But God brings up one man. He says, it's interesting, you claim to run the whole Earth, but what about Job? Did you forget about him? And Satan doesn't say, oh, that's just one guy. No, 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 no. This is a big test. Notice how Satan responds. So Satan answered the Lord and says, does Job fear God for what? Nothing? (laughs) You don't think he's doing it for free, do you? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household, around all that he has on every side? Have you blessed, the, you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. He says, of course he's faithful to you. You pay him off. By the way, in the modern political arena, that's called fraud or bribery or just politics, right? Right? <laughs> But Satan's making a very, a, a, a very clear effort to say, wait, 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 he's not honestly serving you. He's only doing it for the payoff. If you take, and he, he makes a wager. He says, I defy you. I guarantee if you take away all that stuff and just make it about loyalty to you, he will curse you to your face like I do. Again, the room gets like thick with tension. And what's amazing, oh, let's walk through this. Satan's basic argument, let's see if we can understand. As we're trying to understand what lemonade he was peddling around, right? Everyone prefers my rule over God's. Okay, that's his basic argument. Thus, Job is loyal because God does what? Pays him. He gives him lands and houses and gives him a happy life and good weather. Come on. So his premise is this. Stop blessing Job and he will curse God to his face. And what's astonishing is God takes him up and he says, all right, let's do this. And the rest of the book unfolds with Job being exhibit A in God's defense of his own wisdom. Now, this is an important point. In all of the dialogue that we read in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, because it says in Job chapter 2, again, another day, they all came before them to present themselves before the Lord. But you have God saying things, you have Satan saying things, back and forth, point, counterpoint. The polemic continues, yet in the background are these sons of God. It's not like this is a private discussion the two of them had in some back room place. No, no, no. They were doing it right out in front of all the hosts of heaven assembled at that meeting. And the sons of God say how much? Nothing. You read front to back the book of Job, those other sons of God are silent the whole time. Now, question for you. Are these sons of God loyal to God? Yes. 
But are they still interested to see this argument play out? Yeah. They're like, huh, that's a really good question. I mean, we're still with you. But let's, let's hear it out. Now imagine, again, much like we saw yesterday, even at this point, if God had said, you're a, you're a sinner and you deserve to die, squish! What would that have done to Job's, uh, well, not to Job, but what would that have done to Satan's argument? It would have strengthened it. It would have supported it. It would have been like, yep. His dying words would have been, I told you so. The sons of God say nothing. Now, God could have pointed to Satan's work of cruelty and destruction on earth as evidence that he wasn't to be trusted. I mean, this is hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, into earth's history. We don't know exactly when the book of Job was written, but it was long into earth's history. And, and there was plenty of death and disease and destruction and violence and, and surely evidence that Satan's ways are corrupt and you don't want him as your leader. God could have pointed to all of that. But I want to make this point today. That would have not been sufficient. In fact, it could have even strengthened Satan's case. Walk with me through this now. Notice what we read in Isaiah. Text again we're probably familiar with. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. I like to point out, it doesn't say all of our unrighteousnesses are filthy rags, but even our goodness is filthy compared to the high standard of God's character, right? We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. We all are under the condemnation because we have all sinned. Right? right? Romans, it says that in the New Testament, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everybody. And what does God's law say? The wages of sin is what? Death. death. So if God pointed out all the death that had happened since sin entered the world, couldn't Satan say, yeah, that's your rules. In fact... Satan could claim that since God's law requires sinners to die, his killing of people, that is Satan's killing of people, showed the universe God's law in practice. He could say, look, this is what your God does to people who sin. And I'm just getting creative in how it's done. Satan's own evil could be spun as a revelation of God's character. And so God doesn't go theory to theory. He says, what we need is to see an example. Let's go back to our text. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. What's fascinating, this is the only time this word is used in Scripture. However, the Hebrew root word of this is translated a couple other times in Scripture, and we get to see what this trading or traffic means. Okay? For example, earlier in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 22, you find this same root word translated instead of trading, now it's translated slander. And you are men who slander to cause bloodshed. 
What does slander mean? To do what? Tell lies. lies. Specifically, not just any old lie, but lies about somebody else, right? To smear their character. To ruin their reputation. Okay? Leviticus 19, by the way, the same root word as trading is used here. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people. Slander, talebearing, lying, smearing the character of God. This is the lemonade, if you will, that Satan was peddling around to have everybody take a sip. I would encourage you, if you've never picked up the book Patriarchs and Prophets, you should read it at some point. And she describes, the author there describes how that lying mechanism actually worked. It was very crafty. Basically, Lucifer would come up to somebody and say, oh, what a beautiful day, so good. Man, I mean, it's, it's weird that all the songs are about him. But anyway, um, and he would drop just a little drop of doubt in there. And then later, he would walk by that same person and hear them say, you know, I heard somebody talking about how all the songs are about God here. And, and I noticed they were right. Satan would hear that. Then in a third conversation, you say, you know what I heard this other guy say? So he would plant the seed. He would cultivate the crop. They would harvest it and say, look what everybody's saying about God. It's, it's crazy. Man, God must be the worst. And he started peddling around heaven lies about the character of God. Now, thus Jesus, when he came to earth in John chapter 8, said, by the way, this is Jesus speaking to the religious leaders of the day. And if you've, again, I'm going to come back to this. You find more pointed sermons and appeals and, and calling out of wickedness than you've ever heard in church in your lifetime, I promise you. John chapter 8, verses 40 and 45. Please go home and read the whole chapter. It's fantastic how Christ deals with these individuals. But he says to these religious leaders who are planning on killing him, he says, you are of your father, whom? The devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. Now, what were the desires of Satan in heaven? He wanted to be like the Most High, and he was filled with violence within Christ says, I've seen this before. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father he wants, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Pause right there. Did Satan actually kill somebody in heaven? No. But we did read that he was filled with violence where? Within. By the way, did Jesus ever define murder? Sure. What did he say about murder? You've got hatred for your brother in your heart. There was murder in heaven. It was just in Lucifer's heart. But of course, if he were to just roll up his sleeves and say, I'm going to kill you. He was waiting for that opportune moment. And when Jesus came to earth as a vulnerable human being, he said, aha, here's my chance. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Listen to this. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Let me get this straight. Satan doesn't just lie. He invented lying. The whole concept of not telling the truth came from Satan. 
That's the lemonade he was passing around. That's what he was having everybody sip drop by drop until it became ubiquitous around the courts of heaven. It became divisive. It became a war. Jesus says, but because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Which brings me to a little interesting frustration. Let me, let me, well, let's just put it on the screen. If, now I, I changed that, I was going to say when accused of being a liar, but that, that presumes some pretty negative things about you. But if you are ever accused of being a liar, you know what you can't say? No, I'm not. You know why? Because that's what a liar would say. <laughs> right? Somebody says, you liar. No, I'm not. You know what they're going to come back with? Yes, you are. You know what you're going to come back with? No, I'm not. And they're going to come back with, yes, you are. And there's no logical end to this. All you can do is raise the bravado and the adjectives. I really, really, I super duper promise that I'm not a liar. And they're going to say, boy, you're really digging a hole, liar. You know? It's just going to go back and forth and back and forth. You can't just simply, even if you're telling the truth, they're going to say that's a lie. Now that's a big deal. Satan had smeared the character of God across the universe that God created. And now, even when Jesus stands up and tells the truth, he's like, I'm not selfish, I'm selfless. I would give myself for any one of you. I love. God's saying, I am love. And Satan is, no, you're not. Your control, your authority, you're exacting, you're cruel. I offer freedom. I'm the one who truly loves you. Vote for me. Thus, the only way to answer, well, let me put it this way. There comes a time when a proclamation of the truth is not sufficient. There's a time when proclamation is not enough. What is needed is a demonstration. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's more than a proclamation needed to win the great controversy. Watch this now. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Now, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested. This is why Jesus came here, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And what were those works of the devil? Lying. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning, and Christ says, I have to put an end to his baleful work. It's ruining our creation throughout the universe, not just here on planet Earth. Now, I know that's a weird concept to you. You ask any Christian, 99%, you ask them the question, why did Jesus come to the earth? And they're going to say, to save human beings from their sins. And I praise God, that's part of his job. But Christ came here to finish something that started there. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Up in heaven, it was all argument. It was the war in heaven. And Christ says, I need more than proclamation. I'm going to come down and be the demonstration of the character of God. Thus we read the prophecies of the coming Savior. Isaiah 56, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness to be, what's that word? Revealed. Notice that Jesus didn't create righteousness when he was incarnate. He simply revealed what was already there. 
Jesus didn't become good. He was good and came to show the universe the distinction between Christ and Satan. Thus, Paul could write in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For in it, that is the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, in it the righteousness of God is what? Revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. He says, in Christ, what was prophesied in the Old Testament, what occurred in the New, and what Paul reflects on, he says, it's the power of God. It is, in fact, the righteousness of God being revealed. When we see Jesus, his life, his purity, and his sacrifice, we're seeing the very character of God that Satan had besmirched in heaven. By the way, how is righteousness revealed? In obedience. That was what the issue was in heaven. There was disobedience. He rebelled, and thus he was cast out. Christ came to show, no, 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 God's law is not at fault. He's not mean. He's not exacting. His standard isn't too high. It's just right. It's exactly what we need, and I will live it out in my own life. Can you imagine what it would be if Satan put Christ in a position where Christ had to according to our perception of it, had to break God's law in order to survive. The moment Christ sinned, Satan could say, Aha! You can't even keep his law. I was right. And by the way, the wages of sin is death. Christ says, I'm going to come down here and not change the law. I'm going to fulfill the law and show that the law is holy, just, and good. Thus we can read in Hebrews chapter 4, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Amen? Amen. Isn't it fantastic God sent his only son to become like us so that when we have struggles, when we have burdens, that we can go to Jesus and he can relate? He was in all points tempted as we are, in big distinction, yet without sin. He came here, walked this planet, lived our experience, and came out victorious on the other side. And he says, now you come to me. I know you've been lied to a lot by Satan, but you let me talk to you. Let me work with you. In fact, let me work in you. Again, Hebrews chapter 2, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus, likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now we're going to come back to that in a minute. Apparently through Christ's death, the devil is destroyed. I want to hang this thought in your mind. That happened 2,000 years ago. Why is Satan still alive now? Put Put it in a shelf, come back tomorrow. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Christ came to be a living manifestation of God's law and to offer it to us as freedom from Satan. Again, 4.15, the book of Hebrews, for indeed he does not give aid to angels. By the way, why doesn't Jesus help the angels in their struggle with sin? Because they're unfallen. They haven't sinned. They don't have a pit to climb out of. Right? We do. But he gives gives aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now watch this. 
this manifestation, this revelation of the character of God culminated on Jesus' death at Calvary. And notice what Jesus says about this. Speaking of his death, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be, what are those next two words? Pause right there. Hadn't Satan already been cast out? Sure. He had been cast out from heaven. But what's he going to be passed out of now? Let's keep walking. And he explains what is going to make this culmination happen. And he says, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to me. Notice, by the way, Christ simply draws people. Satan's tool is coercion. Christ's tool is conversion. He says, if I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying the death he would die. Imagine it from the heavenly perspective, from the perspective of Gabriel and all the angel hosts. Those sons of God watching this argument between Christ and Satan go and boil and finally Christ comes down to the earth and Satan follows them. They've just year after year hammered out and Christ remains faithful, remains faithful even unto death and finally at the Calvary cross. All the violence that was pent up within Lucifer was unleashed through his agents on Jesus Christ. All that jealousy, all that hatred, all that antagonism, what was in his heart finally came out. And what was different about Jesus Christ? He could not say, yes, but all sinners to... Because Jesus Christ never once sinned. He had no excuse for the origin of evil, and now he had no excuse for the destruction of Jesus. And what was revealed at the cross was two things, and please get this in your mind. Number one, for the first time in the universe's history, the character of Satan was fully unmasked. By the way, for the first time in the universe's history, the character of God was also fully revealed. Now, he had been God all along, right? And, and he'd been love. He said, I am love. But there'd never been an opportunity to demonstrate the fullness of that love until the sacrifice was necessary. And on the cross, two things were revealed, the character of Satan and the character of Jesus Christ. And those unfallen angels, those who, were, who knew him, who were gazing at him and considering him, do you think they were watching Calvary? By the way, one of my favorite passages from the Desire of Ages, page 761, notice the language. Satan saw, this is the death of Jesus on the cross, Satan saw that his disguise was torn away. His administration was laid open before the unfallen angels and before the heavenly universe. He had revealed himself as a murderer. By shedding the blood of the Son of God, he had uprooted himself from the sympathies of the heavenly beings. I want you to soak that in for a minute. That's 4,000 years after he was first cast out of heaven. And up until that point, there was some level of sympathy for Lucifer amongst the unfallen angels. That's how subtle and tricky and crafty he was. No amount of proclamation would do the job. But a demonstration 
in the life and death of Jesus Christ finally and fully revealed the character of Satan. Watch this now. Henceforth, going forward, his work was restricted. Whatever attitude he might assume, he could no longer await the angels as they came from the heavenly courts and before them accused Christ's brethren of being clothed with the garments of blackness and the defilements of sin. The last link of sympathy between Satan and the heavenly world was broken. Notice why his work was restricted. It was not because God built a big wall to keep him out. It's because no one was listening in heaven anymore. So now when he tries to come to the meeting, he can say, hey guys, what's up? Hey, we're done with you. Get out. Hey, do you mind if I... No, get out. Hey, remember we had good times? Stop it. You killed Jesus. Out. There's nothing he can do. God doesn't have to force him out. He simply reveals the character of God and others step away and choose who they will serve. Thus we read in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. We're coming in for a landing. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. Now remember, chapter 12, verses 7 through 9 was the war in heaven and the casting out of Satan. Now look at this very next verse. Now, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of a God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. The casting out we're talking about here wasn't physically from the courts of heaven, but out of the sympathies of heavenly beings. They were now finally, fully, and completely done with Satan. Let me ask you a question. Did today's presentation at least make sense? Praise the Lord for that. Tomorrow we're going to build on this and we're going to grow our understanding a little bit more in a message entitled, A Slinky Down the Stairs. But before we dismiss, let's have a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much that you are a God who takes your time to get things right. Thank you for me, God, who is love and for revealing that love through your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary. Lord, we don't want to follow your enemy. We want to follow you. Help us to have no more sympathy for Satan in our hearts, but to cast him out of our lives through your power. Transform us and restore us, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.